0: During this new year, the bulk of our preaching and worship will be centered around seasons. And that's why you'll notice the the logo in the uh, uh, bottom, I guess it's your right, mentions seasons at West Ark, and this is, of course, winter. But I want you to understand that when we call it winter, we're, we're not just talking about the season that's outside even though we're blessed today to have some sunshine and 50-degree temperatures. And we're not just talking about educational quarters. Winter represents something. Winter represents struggle. It represents uh, depression. It represents difficulty, the quest for survival. And the other seasons will be the same as well. And already this year, we've started out without... Being officially in the season we call winter, we started out with the hope that came from seeing cardboard testimonies where people told us what God had done in their life. We celebrated new life. We welcomed the children at our baby blessing. And in a world right now that continues to devalue life, what a blessing it is to affirm the sacredness of human life. And even last week, um, I'm so thankful that Dr. Justice was here so that um, I could go to Nashville and be a part of the the wedding of Andrew Todd and, and Haley Cobb, and again, another celebration of life and God's goodness. But Dr. Justice's message on Psalm 46 was about the God who rescues us when we need it. The next four weeks, we're going to take lessons out of Romans chapter 8. And the simple word for, F-O-R, connects to large biblical teachings about hope and prayer and goodness and how God is ultimately for us. Would you pray with me? Lord... Today, some of us are happy, and today, some of us are not so happy. And Father, I pray that however we find ourselves today in any such state or anywhere in between, that we will be able to walk out of here saying that it was good to be here today. Because we came into your presence, you have blessed us, and we've received encouragement from one another. Father, I pray that your spirit and your healing touch will be with every soul here. Lord, as we leave this place and we walk out into a, um, a world of pain and suffering, uh, some of us feel that pain and suffering in a very real way. And yet, Father, we declare today and we know and we're affirming this in prayer that just because we feel pain and suffering, it does not mean that you've abandoned us. And it does not mean that we are cut out of your great salvation plans if we don't always feel happy and saved. And Lord, I pray that we will become a people who encourage one another all the more as we see your great day approaching. Lord, there are forces of darkness and death in this world. They pass laws, they enact uh, political acts, and they, they behave in ways officially and unofficially, personally and collectively. They act in ways that promote death and promote suffering. Lord, help us not to despair, but to join you in your great mission to bring about your glory in this world. And even if we don't understand that today, Lord, I pray that we will in time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at some of those days, I feel like starting out a lesson the same way that the teacher does in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes uh is an interesting book of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's it's written by uh, some say Solomon, and even if it is uh, Solomon, he doesn't want you to know that he's Solomon. He doesn't want you to know that he's King of Israel. He doesn't want to be known as anything other than the teacher, just simply the teacher, because he wants you to hear the message. But what a way to start a message when he starts out with the words meaningless meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless when you start off a lesson or a class like that you got to ask yourself Well, now what else can be said if everything's meaningless then, then what is the point the teacher does a good job of diagnosing the problem in the world he is an old fellow full of years and wisdom and he's seen enough to know that there's nothing in this life that satisfies our longing for eternity. Everything else just falls apart. Whether you want to call it vanity or futility it's or emptiness, it just doesn't have the substance that we're looking for in this world. And... I'm so glad that Jesus came into this world, if for no other reason than to give an alternative to the teacher's diagnosis. I think the teacher in Ecclesiastes has done a good job of diagnosing the problem. His cure is to um, eat and drink and serve God to the best of your ability, to remember your creator. That's kind of it. Just just do the things you're supposed to do and that'll that'll be enough. It's a great diagnosis. The cure, I'll just be honest, falls kind of flat. But because of Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul understood this, he would have been well-versed in Ecclesiastes. He says that there's more than just meaningless now because of what God has done in Christ. And so in Romans 8, we hear something beyond the view that everything is meaningless. Many things are meaningless, but there's one thing that is not. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, and I ask you to just listen to this. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, the entire creation, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it steadfastly and patiently. Paul is naming the present suffering, the present meaninglessness That the preacher in Ecclesiastes named. He's aware of it. He's gone through it himself. And he knows that the churches in Rome have experienced it. He says all of creation is burdened by it. Not just human beings, but all of creation is subjected to this this futility or emptiness. When the teacher in Ecclesiastes says uh, there's a time for everything. And you know the... uh, Uh, Who was it? The birds that came up with the song for everything. Turn, turn, turn. We think, oh, that's a great 60s song. That's so special. That's just a wonderful song. Everything changes. Seasons coming and go. No, the teacher is saying that's horrible. I mean, just when you're thinking it's a sunny day, it's perfect. Why doesn't it stay this way? And then the next day you get a storm and you get, you know, today is wonderful. We have 50 degree temperatures and something like that. Guess what? We're about to go into the ice box again. (laughs) Everything cycles. Paul says that this is the problem with the creation that we're in is nothing quite seems to last. We all live in this life like the person who says, you know, they just don't make it like they used to, do they? They used to make cars that last. They used to make appliances that would last. Eh, No, they didn't. If they did, we wouldn't be buying any of the new ones. So we, we all have this kind of frustration. And he says, that's the way it is in the creation. Nothing works the way it's supposed to and Paul says that the creation was subjected to that kind of meaninglessness and he hints that it was God but he says God did that in hope in hope that that state of affairs is not going to be the continual state of affairs here we see the first glimmer that something's going to be different In verse 20, he says, It was subjected in hope or in the hope that the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This world and you and I are subjected to that meaninglessness. The meaninglessness that the Ecclesiastes teacher named because... We 're under the bondage of decay and corruption, a world that's not the way it's supposed to be that's broken that goes through cycles of winter and goes through cycles of 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 loss and hardship that's that bondage of decay and corruption we don't get to be twenty two our whole lives we we age we we, we suffer hardships we We are wounded. We are injured. And the world comes crumbling down. Things fade. That's that bondage of decay and corruption. But there's hope that we're going to get liberated from that. And so this present suffering that we're going through, he's not denying it. He's not saying it's a problem. Nowhere will you see Paul say, hey, if you believe in God, there's going to be no more suffering. Don't believe that. When people try to sell you that kind of snake oil, don't believe that. Jesus Christ himself in the gospel shows us that God does not deny that there's suffering. In fact, he joins us in our suffering. He comes and participates in it. But Here's the truth. That suffering and hardship never, ever will get the last word. And he says that that suffering is not going to compare. It's not, it's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth you know doing a, an accounting ledger on how much suffering we're going to go through now and how much glory awaits us in the future. He says, you can't even compare it. It's not even apples and oranges. Don't even try. Now, now, here's where it gets interesting. He says, we're going to be freed from that bondage of decay and corruption and brought into the freedom and glory... Not the glory of God, but the glory of the children of God. And he's speaking here of an apocalyptic glory. Uh, Big word, apocalyptic. I don't think that word's too big for you. You hear it all the time. You hear about this. I mean, on the weather forecast, every time you watch the weather forecast, whatever's coming our way is going to be apocalyptic. You know, we're not just going to get snow and a little bit of ice. It's run for cover, you know. Get your flare gun. You better, you better run to Walmart now and get bread and milk. Because you know there won't be anything there tomorrow. We're all going to die. It's the snowpocalypse. It's the icepocalypse. Everything's always a disaster. And we take, we, we take that word apocalyptic and we turn it into disaster and destruction and ruin. But that's not what the word means. It's not what the word meant. It meant revelation. And not just the title of the book. But it meant revealing. Something's going to be shown. We're going we're to rip the cover off of it. And we're going to show you. Oh, this is what it's really like. It's the truth. That when something is apocalyptic, the truth comes out. But we've also misunderstood the word glory. I want to recover this word. And if there's anything I've learned recently, it's that that word glory doesn't mean what I thought it meant. You know, glory pops up a lot in the Bible You don't even pay that much to it. Glory is a word that lives in religious settings. It always, you know, comes in with its friend hallelujah. Glory and hallelujah. You don't really know what we're saying. Glory, hallelujah. You know, and on and on we go. That and sporting events and and when you smash your thumb with a hammer. But the um, glory. We use glory in words, in compound words like glory seeker or glory hound. And we've made glory into a bad thing or we've made it into a very simple thing. That glory is nothing more than attention. So when we talk about a glory seeker, we say, oh, he just wants a lot of attention. When we talk about a glory hound, we say, oh, she just needs to be, you know, praised and, and just seeking attention. And so you don't want to be the kind of person that has to have glory. Glory. I'm not doing this for glory. Oh, I'm doing it because I'm humble. I'm so humble that you can applaud me. You know, that, that's, <laughs> they call that humble bragging. And the, uh, uh, But you know what? The word glory is not a bad word, really, if you understand what it means. Glory, when you read of it in the Bible, is the opposite of meaninglessness. When, you, when, when the word glory is used, it comes, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it comes from a word that means heavy. And not heavy just in terms of weight, but heavy in terms of significance. Honor, respect, majesty. You know, when you go to uh, our nation's capital and you see some of the um, historic, Artifacts or the historic places that make up the um, the nation that we call the United States of America, or that item, that artifact, embodies so many things that we consider honorable. Have you ever seen something like that, whether it's in D.C. or somewhere else, and you just kind of have this sense in your heart, this kind of heaviness, a, a sense of significance? that you know that this matters and it's important? I was in Montgomery, Alabama a few years uh, back, and, and uh, uh, the, the fellow who was showing me around, he said, now, over here's the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center, and, and, and right next to it is the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where Martin Luther King was preaching sermons about justice. And he said, within a stone's throw right there is the courthouse... The old Alabama courthouse uh, and right there George Wallace was saying segregation now, segregation forever. And standing between those two locations, I felt like I had walked into a nuclear radiation zone because you felt it, that right there there were battles of words that had to do with things like justice. You just feel it. That's what glory is. Glory is this sense that something is great, that something matters. And Paul says that creation is on the edge of its seat waiting for the glory in God's children to be revealed. Because when we get revealed as what we were always meant to be as God's kids, then the rest of creation breathes a sigh of relief and says, finally, finally, the human beings are what they're supposed to be. Oh, it's good because they're going to stop mistreating us at that point. They're going to stop using us and abusing us and acting like they're God. And we reflect the glory that is meant for God's children. How, How does that take place then? Well, you see, you and I are waiting to be adopted for all the papers to be signed and for us to be identified and named as his children. This adoption that's spoken of here in Romans, you read through it, and let's look at that again, right there around uh, verse, uh, it's verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, we've already got some indication that God is with us. When we were baptized, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we've got some some part of it and we're but but there's more we know there's more and so we're groaning inwardly why because we're waiting we're waiting for our full adoption to sonship this is the word here where when 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 someone adopts someone they bring them in and they make them the full heir of all of their wealth, all of their title, all of their honor. They share that with someone who is not their child by birth. That's our hope. God's kids are adopted. And what they get out of it is his glory, his weight, his significance, his majesty, that honor and respect. We share in it. We participate in it. And that's what gives us hope. So that even though we're suffering and trying to make it through this world and this life, we know that that's not what we're meant for. That we were really built to be his kids. We were really made and our destiny is to be his children fully. And we're going to be adopted. So here's your first four of the, of the four fours. In this passage, Paul lines out what we hope for. The hope that gets us through our present sufferings. First of all, we hope for freedom. Freedom from the bondage and decay that is part of this world because of sinfulness. The bondage and decay that is part of this world because we thought that we could play God. But why ever it's here, whatever reason it's here, for whatever cause, we feel it, but it's not going to get the last word. We don't end up in bondage. The world doesn't end up in bondage to decay. The, the world around us deteriorates. Our bodies deteriorate. Our, our, our minds deteriorate. But that's not going to be the end of us. We're going to be set free from all that. And not and by the way, not in death. That's, I want you to understand that. That's not some metaphor for death. Oh, yes, when death comes, death is sort of like a friend. It sets us free from pain and suffering garbage garbage death occurs but there's got to be more than just death in first corinthians 15 paul says "Ah, death doesn't get the victory in fact we get to laugh death in the face and say ha ha death where's your victory now where's your sting jesus christ is the firstborn from the dead that's the pattern and the prototype for all of us so there What's going to free us from decay and corruption is God's grace and his adoption of us as his children. Second thing we have hope for is we have hope for redemption. That means that God's going to do something with this broken creation. He's not giving up on it. He's going to restore it. It's not just going to get tossed away. Sometimes we have this view that this world we're living in is sort of a a disposable world. That everything here is just ah this is just a container. This body's just a container. I can do whatever I want with my body. It doesn't matter. You know this life that we live in. Ah, you know we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna go to the spiritual stuff, and all of this is just gonna fall away. And God's gonna burn it up. He's gonna throw it in the fire, and then he's gonna go over here and he's gonna build a completely new home. Mm-hmm. Scriptural view says that God's gonna take all this because it's the creation that He declared good, and He's going to make it new, and it's going to be new. And you and I are going to have new bodies. We're going to be like Christ, who was new, a new kind of flesh, a new kind of existence. Now, don't ask me to explain all that to you. I haven't been there yet, all right? It's like when you're watching TV with someone and somebody shows up and you turn the channel and, you know, and they're like, hey, why is that guy doing that? It's like, did I get here before you? I don't know. So I don't know either. We're all going to get there, though. And I'm telling you, this is what redemption is. But we're getting a taste of it right now. And if you talk to people long enough, who've been following God long enough, they're going to tell you. They're going to say, "Hey, listen. You know, once I was the kind of person I used. To, I, I couldn't control my temper. I mean, my temper would just go go crazy, and I was just you know in, involved in all of those 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 passions and those desires and those temptations. And now I can't explain it. It's like God's Spirit has done something. And this isn't magic." It's God's glory. It's a relationship with God. Let me ask you, as you've grown, as you've gone through life, the older ones will certainly understand this. Younger ones, you've got some sense of this. But as you've gotten to know people who make you a better person, haven't you changed? Yeah. If that's true, then how much more is it true that by knowing God, you're going to change? You're going to be more like his child. Here's the the thing, the other thing we hope for is meaningful purpose. We get the glory of being God's adopted children. And this is where we need to unpack that word glory and realize that that part of that glory is not just attention, but it's purpose. We have have a purpose that, that we get to experience life as it was always meant to be. Maybe not fully, not yet, but we we begin to see what it is that God wanted us to do. Sometimes we have this really thin view of the Christian life, and it goes something like this. You need to hear the gospel, you need to obey it, you need to get baptized, and then by all means, stay out of trouble until you die, would you please? Because that baptism is only good one time round; doesn't count again. Well, sometimes we'll give you a second one, but, but that's rare. But just stay out of trouble, okay? Just stay out of trouble. What am I supposed to do until Christ comes back? Don't you want to get to heaven? Yeah. Then stay out of trouble. And that's it. And that's all we ask people to do. When really... Christ, you see him, and he's talking to his disciples and to anybody else that will listen. He'll say, I've got a mission for you. I've got things I need you to do. I need you to tell people about this. We need more people to understand God's glory and how that glory looks in us. Because guess what? You're human beings. You've got an important job. You've got something to do in this world. You're not God. You're human beings. But God has a purpose for you. And we start to live into that. And we don't figure it out in one day. We don't even figure it out in an entire lifetime, but we're getting there because we've been adopted. And we get a chance that we didn't know we were going to have. We see things in a different way, we have a new identity. This word adopted, I mean, and by the way, Paul says that since that's going to happen, we can endure. But I want to ask you can you imagine what it's like to wait around and be adopted? Some of you can. And I'm very thankful for my young friend Brian because I called him yesterday and I realized he knows something that I don't know. He knows what it's like to be adopted and he knows what it's like to wait to be adopted. Uh, this morning Brian and I figured out that he's, uh, he's ten and a half. Um, he's actually ten and thirty-one sixty-fourths but ten and a half we decided was, was good enough. And, uh, so he's pretty, pretty bright young fellow. And I asked him, I said, you know something I don't, do you remember what it was like waiting to be adopted? He said, I do. And he said, there, there was me and there was a lot of other children and my, my younger brother and my sister, and we were waiting to be adopted. And sometimes you think it's going to happen and then it doesn't. And then you get very sad and you, you, but you have to start waiting and hoping again, you start hoping for it. And Finally, when it does happen, you know that you're going to be in a family where you're going to be fed and you're going to be taken care of and you're going to be safe. And I could tell that as he was saying that to me, he was saying that means then that my focus is on who I'm supposed to be in a family and not where's my next meal going to come from tomorrow, where's my safety coming from, where's my protection coming from that when you're sitting around hoping and waiting for adoption you're so focused on survival that you don't even have a moment to think about who you are you and I aren't waiting around for adoption Brian told me he said well he said well now because I've been adopted he said I can help people like you understand what it is and I said yes you can and yes you have And I said, you're going to help a lot of people. Thank you for letting me share this. And he gave me permission to to share his name and to share his story. And you know what? He uh, also said that he can help other people understand what it means. And to encourage others. Yeah. I mean, God's speaking through this little boy. And he's he's telling us. Now, now stop and think about it. Many of us don't. You know, we think, oh, adoption. That's good. That means that we're Christians, right? No, that means that you... Don't have to worry about whether your next meal is coming from. That means you don't have to worry about whether your next paycheck is coming from. That means you don't have to worry about all these things that we tend to worry about. And we can focus on being his children. And so, wait a second, preacher, that's great. But these hard things come along. Yes, they do. And I'm here to tell you, they will come along and there will be more of them. There will be a lot of hardships. But that's the nature of hope. That we're waiting for something that we haven't seen, that we haven't experienced. Not just seen with our eyes, but we haven't experienced it in life. And since we are waiting for something that is emerging, if we wait for something that is much greater than our current sufferings, then we can endure. We can endure it. How can we endure it? Well, okay, let's go to another verse. We were in Ecclesiastes, now let's go to Hebrews. Which is really interesting because in Hebrews, you know, did Paul write it? Eh, Maybe. You know, did somebody else write it? I don't know. You know, never names himself. But the writer of Hebrews seems to be fine with the idea that this is a sermon and I'm preaching. And so we went from the teacher and now we got the preacher. And the preacher of Hebrews says, hey, let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by... Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, the champion, the hero, the winner who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. See, he went through it too. He disregarded its shame, but he knew it was there. And now... He has glory. He's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And, you know, sometimes we look at Jesus and we make him out to be this perfect example that you and I can never hope to be anything like him at all. Well, you know, that's Jesus. And there's always, Jesus is like the older child or the perfect sibling who can never get anything wrong. You know, well, yeah, sure, Jesus didn't sin, but, you know, he's special. And that's unfortunate. Because the whole purpose of God becoming flesh, God becoming man is to say, look, if I can do this, you can do this. We can't do it perfectly. I never said perfectly. But if I can do this, you can do this. And right here, the preacher in Hebrews is saying, hey, you're going to need strength to endure. Look at your hero. Look at your champion. Look at your Lord. Now, he endured something. So if he endured that because of what was awaiting beyond that, then you can endure what you're going through because of the hope that you have. The hope that you have being adopted as God's child and that same glory. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would give us the kind of hope that causes us to endure, that causes us to endure, that gives us the strength and the power to endure. And Father, I pray that we will not give in to the meaninglessness of life, but that our hope will be found in experiencing moment by moment just a little more of your glory. It's not attention that we crave. It's significance. The kind of significance that we can't create on our own or manufacture on our own, but the kind of significance that's given to us because you loved us enough to adopt us, to give us a name and give us identity. Father, let this be our hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing this song, there's going to be shepherds down here who are ready to pray for you, to give you encouragement. There'll be shepherds in room 100, and maybe today your need is to be baptized into Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just let us know that today. Let's stand, let's sing, and encourage each other.